Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. This reading is from 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 15. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of the one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked God that he might die. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then went in the strength of the food, of that food, for forty days and forty nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elisha? He answered, I have been zealous for the Lord, the, Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He, he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel as king over Aram. The word of the Lord. God, thank you. 
uh, for your grace, for your invitations, and for the scriptures, which teach us how to live and how to be united with each other, united with you. Amen. All right, so uh, the background of this, again, Elijah has run. He's run for his life. The background is this, and I want to I want to read just a couple of, uh, just a quick summary. So why we're at where we're at, why Elijah ends up at Mount Horeb and meeting with God, not in the earthquake, not in the wind, not in the fire, but in the sheer silence, is because uh, Israel is in a place where they have elected some kings that are not good people. Uh, I, I'm going to you know, show my cards face up on the table here and say it's like the Lannisters have taken over Westeros, okay? And if you get that, you get that. If you don't get that, you don't get that. Uh, the Starks have been murdered and thrown down. Uh, you know, Queen Cersei is issuing threats. Joffrey's on the throne. Bad news, people. It's bad news. So there's been a drought in Israel, and people believe that the drought is three years because God is displeased with God's people. So uh, after many, this is, comes from 1 Kings 18. This is not in, your, uh, in the liturgy. This is just background, uh, the previous chapter. 1 Kings 18, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year of the drought saying, go, present yourself to Ahab the king because I will send rain on the earth. So God is telling Elijah to go to Ahab the king and tell him rain's coming. Now, here's an all-play question. What is God telling Elijah and what is Elijah telling Ahab? Yes, rain is coming. What does that mean in a metaphorical, spiritual sense? Life is coming. Water is coming. And water is associated with life. Thanks, Jason. What else? Relief is coming, yes. Thank you, Cassandra. The Spirit of God is returning back to the city. Now, is that good news to King Ahab? Is that good news to Joffrey? Not so much. So Elijah is going to be a little freaked out as he's going to tell him, but he goes anyway, right? And then in 1 Kings 18, there's this guy, and it kind of goes back and forth. Obadiah is a servant of the king, and they go back and forth, and Elijah wants to tell Obadiah, Elijah does tell Obadiah, tell your king I'm here. And Obadiah says, do you want my king to kill me? Because once I tell him that you're here, he'll kill me because you're a troublemaker and I don't want to be killed. So why don't you just present yourself to him? And so they do. And then it's so fascinating. So again, remember, God 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 told Elijah to do what? Go to Ahab and tell him, Rain's coming. All right, so take still verse 17 before Elijah gets to uh, Ahab. But when Ahab, verse 17, saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? I love that. Uh, He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed followed the Baals, right, the false gods. Now, therefore, now this is what Elijah tells Ahab. Have all Israel assemble for me at Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Question, why did he tell Ahab to have all of Israel, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah assemble at Mount Carmel? 
Let's take a stab. I'll just get my coffee over here while you're thinking. Showdown, Showdown baby. Yep. Time to settle this, right, Joe? Yeah. All right, yep. Do I don't disagree. Spectacle. Show of strength. Use some wildfire. <laughs> We're back to the Lannisters. All right. Some of you are like, what are we talking about? Everyone will see it. There, can't, there won't be a spin. We'll know whose God is who. We'll know who wins. No more ambiguity. Rain's coming anyway, so let's show them. Does God tell them to do this? We don't know. Doesn't tell them not to do it. Shannon. I love it. Isn't it fascinating, though, like, if you've heard this story before, which maybe you have, maybe you haven't, did you sort of assume that God told them to, hey, you know, get, and by the way, rain, yep, but also get those guys up to Mount Carmel because I want a little bit of a showdown. But as far as we know, we don't know that God didn't, but we don't know that God did. So, man, that's a lot of people on Mount Carmel. And... Uh, so when they get up there, it really is a showdown. Elijah says to the folks, okay, everybody, uh, we're gonna do two sacrifices, one for God, one for the gods of Baal, one for Baal, and uh, we'll just get it ready to go. Both sacrifices will be ready to go. You pray to your God. All we need the God to do is provide the fire that burns the sacrifice. That's all we need. And whichever God answers, that God is the true God. So, you know, and it's, again, this is, you know, this is Bronze Age. This is what people believe, that this is absolute. this is a great idea. No one has to die. We'll just, you know, we'll do a, so, and a really, read it. It's a really hilarious. I mean, Elijah gets, gets some, he's in a really spunky mood. He even said, you know, because they pray, nothing happens. And he basically says, you know, ask again, because maybe Baal is going to the bathroom. and Maybe he's indisposed right now. It's right there in the scriptures. It's hilarious. And, but anyway, so they pray, they pray, they pray, they cut themselves, nothing happens, nothing happens. And then Elijah goes, all right, I'm gonna pray to my God, but first I'm gonna douse the thing with water, and he does that, and then he prays, and then, whoa, fire comes down, burns up not only the, the sacrifice, but the whole altar, the 12 stones, and everything is done. Boom, history, right? And everyone's like, yes, the true God is, you know, Yahweh is the true God, done deal, woo! Showdown, oh my gosh, amazing. And then, 1 Kings 18, verse 40, we read this. Uh, Elijah said to them, now again, I'll read verse 39 too. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord indeed is God, the Lord indeed is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. Then they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and killed them there. So Elijah, the prophet, uh, it doesn't say had them killed. It says killed them. Who told Elijah to kill the prophets of Baal? Now it's like a rhetorical question. Didn't really mean it to be, but... Where we're going to go here is realizing, like, we assume, because we read the Bible a certain way, we assume that Elijah's 
just, yeah, that's what happened. That's what, what God certainly wanted. And the thing is, we don't know. But it doesn't say God instructed Elijah to murder the prophets of Baal. Elijah just does it. And it doesn't say it's right, and it doesn't say it's wrong. It just moves on. So all play question. What do you do when you encounter a hero in the Bible, quote unquote hero, and he does something that makes you, he or she does something that makes you raise your eyebrow? Do you even allow yourself to go there, to ask the question, why does he murder 450 prophets of, it said, all the people, and all the people fell on their faces and said, the Lord indeed is God. Now, maybe that means all the Israelites. I don't know. What do you do when you encounter someone in the scriptures that's a little too human? Uh, thanks, Sean. It's, yeah, it's just like today. It's like your heroes, when they, when they do something wrong, and they turn out to be human beings. Oh, it's so disappointing, isn't it? And then what, is, what does it make you do? What does it make you think? Second guess the other stuff. Yeah, was it real? I mean, was the good stuff real? Thank you, Linda. Totally. Can I buy what they're selling anymore? Are they... All good, all bad. And I think the temptation, these days especially, is to believe, and I know this sounds like, oh, I don't do that, but is to believe someone's either all good or all bad. Someone's either, and we get plenty of ammunition, depending on what you read <laughs> about anyone, all good or all bad. Um, so Elijah... In 1 Kings, we're finally to the text that we're actually in today, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 3. He's afraid and he runs away to Beersheba. Ahab told Jezebel, the queen, Joffrey told Cersei all that Elijah had done and how he had killed. <laughs> Some of you are like, I, I, I will kill him right now. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, talking about Game of Thrones, you guys, it's such a terrible show, and I'm not endorsing it at all, but it really is fascinating in terms of understanding the biblical times. Oh, my gosh. Woo! Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life like the life of one of them, which means the prophets of Baal. She's basically saying, I'm going to murder you by the time the day's over. Now, he runs and he's afraid. He got, gets up and flees for his life, comes to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, and so he's terrified. And I think, you know, he's probably terrified because he thinks that he could die. But you also got to think, like, he just, I mean, he just killed 450 prophets of Baal. He, 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 he showed himself to be pretty invincible, and yet he's terrified because he, he's threatened. And I get that. I think it's real. But I also think there's more going on in Elijah. I think, and again, it's not stated in the text, but if you're a person, a man of God, who experiences this level of, like, showdown, and you, quote, unquote, win, 
but it also includes the murder of 450 people that you do, I don't think you're having a big steak that night and just like, absolutely the best day of my life. I think you're feeling the complexity of that moment. And I think that is why, is part of why he runs. And so, okay, Beersheba. Where is Beersheba? Any map nerds in terms of Israel? South. Thanks, Will. The farthest south you can get while still being in God's country. So Elijah goes as far as he can, but still within the safety, the safe confines of God's, God's country. And Beersheba means well of the sevenfold oath, which should be like a book name, right? Or a, in the name of a child. Name your child well of the sevenfold oath. I don't know what their middle name would be, but. So then, quickly, what's the oath? Because the Bible's written in such a way that when, when, when it says he comes to Beersheba, it's like an icon on the desktop. They want you to click on that icon and go somewhere. It's not just like, Beersheba. It's he arrived at this place, and this is part of what I want to tell in the story. So what this oath is, is uh, it comes from Genesis 20 and 21. So maybe you remember a time where Abraham and Sarah, they were promised a child but hadn't, hadn't had Isaac yet. They're traveling south through the wilderness. They get to this place, and then they meet this king called Abimelech. And uh, Abraham is terrified that he's going to get killed. So he offers his wife, Sarah, and says, this is my sister, Abimelech. You should take her into your she should become your wife. And Abimelech's like, thank you very much. Yes, I will. Because Game of Thrones, this is what happens back then. Uh, And um, awful, just awful. But God visits Abimelech in a dream and says, by the way, Sarah is Abraham's wife. And if you touch her, you're going to sin big time. And Abimelech goes, whoa, whoa. Thank God I didn't do anything yet. So he gets Abraham in his face and says, why did you do this? Genesis 20, verse 10. And Abraham says, I did this because you don't fear God. And I was afraid. Now, it's interesting, right? Abimelech hears God in a dream, doesn't touch Sarah, goes to Abraham and says, I want to do the right thing here. Why did you do this? Who, who's listening to God right now? Who's fearing God? Abimelech. Meanwhile, Abraham, God's like, go, I'll, I'll provide a son for you. You know, every, just you know, go to the place I will show you. And the minute he encounters a little resistance, uh, take my wife. Take my, oh, she's really my sister, you know. And then he goes on further. If you read in Genesis 20, he says, well, you know, technically she is my sister because she's my father's daughter, but by, by a different woman. So technically I wasn't wrong, God. <laughs> so here's one of Elijah's ancestors. I'm no better than my ancestors. Kill me now, right? Now we're at the well of the sevenfold oath. Uh, and Abraham meets Abimelech again after this. And they have this dispute over whose well it is because, again, water was life. And so whoever had water rights in a certain place got to control the land. So Abraham had become a wealthy person. Abimelech still was a king. 
and they had this dispute, and so um, Abimelech was like, okay, listen, it's your well. But then Abimelech said, I want you to covenant with me that you won't fight me over this. So they do this elaborate covenant with seven ewes that are slaughtered. That's why the sevenfold oath. And it's this, the one commentator I read, Walter Brueggemann said, the reason why it was so, like, that there needed to be this huge covenant was because Abimelech was like, Abraham, I can't trust what you say. I can't trust your word. So we need to do this the real way. Whereas, like, if he was really acting like a man of God, then he just, they just would have said, hey, you know, we're good. So back to, whew, right? Mm. Back to Elijah. He's lying under a broom bush. Kill me now. I'm no better than my ancestors. He falls asleep. The angel wakes him up. Here, have a cake. Have some water. Thank you very much. Falls asleep again. Then the angel wakes him up and says, eat some more because you're about to go 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb uh, and you're going to meet with God. So question, what's happening here in the life of Elijah? Repentance. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. It's questioning his actions. What did I just do? Yeah. What else? Yeah, he doesn't know if he wants to go back or not. Like, again, he's saying, kill me now. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, he's at a time where he's like re- really reevaluating everything and maybe he's returning to the real God. I, I think, um, I don't want to overly psychologize this, uh, I think, uh, but looking at it like from the perspective of what can we really learn from a guy who murders 450 prophets of Baal about following God, right? So, quote from Carl Jung. One cannot live in the afternoon of life according to the program of life's morning. For what was great in the morning will be of little importance in the evening, and what in the morning was true will at the evening become a lie. What is Jung saying about Elijah's life at this particular moment where he's lying, falling asleep in front of the broom bush and getting up and about to go 40 days and 40 nights to meet with God? He's deconstructing everything. To put it in Richard Rohr's language, he's leaving the first half of life or the first journey of life, which is all about ego and ascent and winning and having my God, which was real, right? We're not saying that wasn't real, but there's one phase of life, the first half of life, where it's all about identifying ego and identity and winning and my tribe is better than your tribe, that you need fire to come down from heaven and show. And that's not wrong, not bad. It's a phase of your journey. But if you stay there in that place, if you don't, now I think in a metaphorical way, Elijah falling asleep is like him dying. He dies. A part of him, the ego part of him, the insecurity part of him dies for real. And he wakes up and he takes food that's spiritual food, that allows him to go 40 days and 40 nights. Now again, take it literally, sure. 
Is it a metaphorical journey of like what you need when you need to take a journey that only God can prepare you to take? Both. Let's believe in both. So he's going to meet God in a different way. And when he meets him, when he meets God, when he gets to Mount Horeb, 40 days, 40 nights, um, God asks him, why are you here? And this is the question that God will ask you in the second journey of life. Why are you here? And it doesn't matter how Elijah answers. I'm zealous for you. Okay, whatever. He does. Okay. There's a little first half of life still happening right there. Very zealous. No one else is right. I'm right. And then God says, go stand on the mountain before the Lord. And then the wind comes, and God's not in the wind. The earthquake comes. God's not in the earthquake. Fire comes. God's not in the fire. What does that mean, y'all? Not burning. I think it means, just because we're out of time, I think it means God was in the fire up on that mountain. But if you continue to demand that God show up in that way in your life, in the second half of life, you're going to become a bitter, uh, tribal, that's that's the wrong word, Uh, you're going to demand that your team wins all the time in the same way that it won last time. And you're not going to be open to God showing up in a different way. And that's really what this is about. Earthquake, wind, fire. It's about will you open yourself up like Elijah did to experiencing God in a paradox. He heard God in the sound of sheer silence. What does the sound of sheer silence sound like? Now, Amber? Sabbath. Let's pray. We're done. No, for real. Um, if you read the rest of Elijah's story, there's not much left. It's clear that he's entered a different dimension of his relationship with God. It's not about ego anymore. It's not about winning. He's, from here on else, he's going to give away his power to another king, to Elisha, and then he's going to end his life by, with intimacy with God. There's so much here, and I am at least five minutes over. Um, But hear this quote from Meister Eckhart. Between God and the soul, there is no distance. So as you meet with God this week, in the wind, maybe, in the earthquake, in the fire even, and in the sheer silence, may you meet God in the place of your soul, where there's nothing to prove, no ego insecurity to make sure you're better than or make sure you win, but the place where God meets you exactly as you are, not as you should be, and God will take you to where you need to go and ask you why you're here. Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If If you you find find yourself yourself nearby nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you have have any any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.